0: Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, soften our hearts, change our minds, and heal our very souls through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. This fall in worship, we at First Pres are spending the better part of three months Asking questions, given our proximity to that esteemed academic institution right there, or our rich history as a church, you might assume that the questions we are asking are deeply intellectual or profoundly theological, and you would be deeply and profoundly wrong. No, this fall, this esteemed 145-year-old church is taking our sweet time asking the kind of questions you could ask a perfect stranger or a dear friend. The kind of questions meant to deepen connection and foster belonging. The kind of questions that make us realize that we are part of something bigger than we could have ever imagined. Simple questions like the one we asked a few weeks ago, what is your name? and challenging questions like today's. When was the last time you changed your mind? Now, I wish the inspiration behind this series was a little bit more upbeat. But the truth of the matter is that this series was born from the realization that now, more than ever perhaps, being in relationship is hard. Now, for a hot second, I was actually worried that my premise for this series was too cynical and maybe even unnecessary. We know how to talk to each other, right? We know how to disagree with each other and meet each other in the middle, right? Just this past Friday, the New York Times published an article entitled, How Do Americans Feel About Politics? After conducting dozens of interviews across the country with voters young and old, the article reported widespread feelings of being disconnected, disillusioned, and dismayed. One interviewee remarked, we seem to be starting to go down the line of, if I don't agree with you, I'm going to kick you out. Everybody is out for themselves. Another said, I'd never thought that I would live in times like this. And one person even lamented, disgust isn't a strong enough word. Right next to that article was a story about how two very different families packed up and moved their entire lives to live in a state that mirrored their own politics and valued their identity. But by yesterday morning, these stories were rapidly replaced with new headlines announcing war in the Middle East. Militants attacked, rockets fired, Countermeasures ordered as of this morning, over 500 lives lost in Gaza and Israel. Now, I am not implying that our ability to ask each other basic questions is going to somehow bring peace to the Middle East or unity to our fractured country. But I do know that our discomfort, our unwillingness, our refusal to sit and talk with those who do not look like us or think like us or see the world like us is going to keep us from whatever peace or unity there is to be found. Friends, we are a people who actually believe the crazy notion that salvation was made possible by the sacrificial love of just one man, one God. So imagine what the sacrificial love of all of us together could do with God's help. And so today, even with the headlines that are scrolling on the news and in our minds, today we gather to worship God with whatever faith we can muster and whatever hope we can find. Today we timidly untie our sandals as we take one step closer towards a bush that just won't burn. Today, we will allow ourselves to be shocked by the fact that the God of the universe sees us, knows us, and still loves us. And today, we boldly ask that very God to speak. Why? Because we, God's servants, are listening. So friends, listen now to the word of God as it comes to us and for us from Exodus, chapters 6 and 7. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I am speaking to you. But Moses said in the Lord's presence, since I am a poor speaker, why would Pharaoh listen to me? The Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt." When Pharaoh does not listen to you, I will lay my hand upon Egypt and bring my people, the Israelites, company by company, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out from among them. And Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a wonder, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and they became snakes. But Aaron's staff was swallowed up theirs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What makes a question a good one? What kind of questions open up a conversation versus shut one down? What kind of questions lead to connection versus alienation? What kind of questions are worth asking? Now, there's a lot out there to answer this particular question, but when it comes down to it, the answer is simple, really. A good question is one that does not assume a right answer, which is why no good conversation ever started by someone asking, how do you load the dishwasher? (laughs) Or who did you vote for in the last election? Or which one of your kids is your favorite? (laughs) Or finally, how do you read the Bible? You see, when it comes down to it, most of the church's inability to talk to each other results from our disagreements over this important question because underneath it lies even more important questions. Questions like, how do you see God? Where do you see God? A few weeks ago, we hosted a conversation with all of the pastors on the subject of belonging. I, in sharing my own struggles on this topic, I let slip a rather controversial confession, for this place at least, when I said that I do not exegete scripture for exegesis' sake. In other words, I don't engage in the arduous task of interpreting Scripture because I think it's fun. Now, maybe it is because I am tired or lazy or both, but if I am being really honest, my preference would be, that the Bible could be easily interpreted at face value. There would be no disagreement or confusion because one could easily understand the meaning of the text simply based on what is on the page. But it is not up to me. Contrary to my personal preference, Scripture refuses to be interpreted easily, understood quickly, or contained neatly. Most of the time when I read the pages of this ancient text, I end up angry or frustrated. So no, I don't exegete for exegesis sake. I exegete because I have to, because my faith depends on it. I exegete because even when the Bible is horrible and hard, I still believe that it is holy and good. A truth I want us to remember as we turn to our passage for today. To quickly bring us up to speed, in the preceding chapters, we are reminded of who the Israelites are, where they come from, and the promises God made to them to be a chosen people, a blessed people. Promises carried down in Genesis from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And yet their situation in Exodus is anything but promising. Enter Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now from his lofty throne, Pharaoh takes notice of the fact that the Israelites are indeed a numerous and a growing people, making them a direct threat to him and his people, him and his kingdom. And so what does he do? He subdues, subjugates, and enslaves God's People. Enter Moses, a Hebrew child adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter who ended up killing an Egyptian slave master who was beating his fellow Hebrew kin, forcing him to flee to the land of Midian, where he became a shepherd and met God in a non-burning, burning bush in the middle of nowhere. But as we learned last week, this is the very person God calls on to deliver the Israelites. Which leads to our passage for today, the epic showdown between God and Pharaoh. A battle royale that plays out over the course of eight or so chapters, resulting in ten horrific plagues that cause immeasurable destruction and suffering felt by both the Israelites and the Egyptians. Now, this devastation alone should be enough to make any of us stop and ask some really hard questions. But the part that makes it truly hard to stomach is the possibility that God was somehow behind it all. Exodus chapters 4 and 7, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Exodus chapters 9, 10, and 11, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. In his book, reading the Bible again for the first time, The late theologian and scholar Marcus Borg talks about our modern need for divine consistency in the Bible, meaning the same God who is in the Bible is the same God who is at work today. Now, if that is true, which we believe that it is, then how do we make sense of a God who hardens hearts to the suffering of others? What does that say about how God is operating today? And this is where we exegete, not because it's fun, but because we have to. You see, if there's one thing that is utterly consistent about this story in Scripture, it is that it is inconsistent. Inconsistent. Exodus chapter 7, 8, and 9, but Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen. Exodus 8, 32, but this time Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Sometimes God is the subject of the hardening, but sometimes it's Pharaoh and other times it is totally unclear. Sometimes Pharaoh's obstinance is the direct cause of more suffering. Sometimes God inflicts another plague without so much as a warning. In the original Hebrew language, There are three different verbs used for this one verb in the English language. Now, how do you like that exegesis? In other words, we do not know how it all went down. Sometimes we do the work of interpretation just to be reminded of how much we don't know so that we can focus on what we do. And what we do know is that the hardening of Pharaoh's heart didn't happen overnight. If we look beyond what is simply on the page, if we look at how this story is being told, we see how the hardening of Pharaoh's heart happened over the course of time. Scripture shows us how time after time, Moses tries to change Pharaoh's mind, to let his people go. Time after time, God tries to soften Pharaoh's heart and to save his own people from their suffering. And time after time, Pharaoh refuses to change his mind. Pharaoh refuses to soften his heart. Time after time, Pharaoh actively chooses to allow his heart to get hardened to the point of his death. Now, from where we are sitting, it might be easy for us to judge Pharaoh and tell ourselves that we share nothing in common with this particular brand of sinner. That in the face of so much suffering, we would have done differently. We would have chosen differently. Maybe. And maybe not. You see, as king, Pharaoh participated in an unjust system where the very few lived really well off the backs of many. In that system, Pharaoh never had to answer to anyone. He saw what he wanted to, heard what he wanted to, and he did what he wanted to. His power and his privilege gave him the luxury of never needing to change anyone else's mind or having to change his own. Now, in that regard, you have to give the guy credit. He is consistent. He knew that actually listening to God and changing his mind would go against his entire system of being because it would require him to do the one thing he never had to do in his entire life, give something of himself, sacrifice something of himself for the sake of of another. In the end, I don't think Pharaoh's fatal flaw was that he was too stubborn or rigid or that he was too powerful or privileged. In the end, I think the reason Pharaoh's heart was so closed off, so immovable, so hard was because it only belonged to him. After all, you can be stubborn and compassionate. You can be rigid and kind. You can be powerful and gentle. You can be privileged and generous. But if all you care about is preserving yourself and protecting your system of being, if you are invested in just keeping things exactly the way they are, if your well-being is all you think about when you wake up in the morning or you go to sleep at night, if you are incapable of changing your mind, then you know what? It doesn't really matter what Hebrew verb we use or who the subject is behind that verb. The outcome will be the same. Your heart will grow hardened. To God, to each other, even to yourself. But in the same way that the hardening of Pharaoh's heart happened over the course of time, guess what? So does the softening. Every single day, God invites us to see things differently, to think differently, to choose differently. Every single day, we have the opportunity to do the one thing Pharaoh refused to do, give something of ourselves, sacrifice something real of ourselves. That is what enables us to belong to each other, not simply sharing who we are, but giving our very selves away. So maybe the question we should be asking isn't, when was the last time you changed your mind? But rather, what do you need to give up? What do you need to let go? Whose story, whose suffering is important enough to you to change your mind and to soften your heart? As Drew mentioned in the welcome in just a little bit, you are going to hear about our annual stewardship campaign. Yay! Now, I assure you, it is nothing that you haven't heard before or will hear again. You know how it goes. Over the next few weeks, you are going to hear a lot of stories, a lot of pitches, a lot of asks. But the truth is is that this month is actually no different than any other because the church will always be asking as long as there will be people who are needing Here at First Press, we call this season stewardship season, but the faithful stewarding of our power and our privilege God has blessed us with is not limited to First Press. Now, don't get me wrong. We need and rely on your faithful generosity. Actually, now, more than ever, the ministries of this church need and rely on you. But guess what? So do so many others. And so your homework this week is not to ask this question of someone else, but to ask this question of yourself. How is God calling you to change your mind, soften your heart? What of yourself can you give or sacrifice that might aid in the flourishing and freedom of someone else? And then, after you have answered that question, choose it. Daily, hourly, start small or go big. Actively choose to not let your heart become hardened. Don't be like me and wait for some perfect moment where you feel like you've got enough to spare and the ask isn't too too big for you to handle. Whatever you do, actively choose to not let your heart become hardened. Actively choose to seek out the voices so often unheard. Actively choose to see and sit with those who suffer. But most of all, actively choose to let your mind be changed by the one who opened his heart to us to the point of his death. And so we are going to close our time with the exact same prayer that we started. Beloved, let us pray. Lord, soften our hearts, change our minds, and heal our very souls through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.